Hello and welcome to Ducks on the Pond. I'm Kirsten Diprose and this is Jackie Elliott. Hello. This episode, we're looking at how to find the right mentor. You, you can try to do it yourself, but if you're clever, you actually look at what other people have done and you learn from them. That's Kathy McGowan, also known as Kathy from Indi, a woman who broke the 74-year Liberal National hold of the federal seat of Indi in northeast Victoria, making her the electorate's first independent. Yep, she had a crack at one of those super safe country seats. And we all know there's quite a few in regional Australia that have been held for so long by one political party that it just seems like it's not even worth trying. But Kathy did. And as you're about to hear, she didn't do it alone. Kathy wasn't a career politician. She was a farmer and a former teacher who had always just been really involved in her local community. So how did she do it? How did she get to Canberra? Jackie, you and I actually first met Kathy a few months ago. Yeah, back at the Women on Farms gathering dinner in Warrnambool. Yeah, she was great. She was like the, the keynote speaker and she completely held the room. And then after we went up and we, we spoke to her and she actually gave me her book called Kathy Goes to Canberra. And she said to me, she signed it and she said, now, if you read it, she will come on the podcast because obviously I've you know, tried to get her on. <laughs> so then you obviously read it, Kirsten, because you've now got her as a guest on your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did read it. It's a really good book. A really interesting story of how she organised the, the Voices for Indi and then really interesting stuff about Canberra as well. And you'll hear a bit about that in the podcast too. What Cathy talks about in this podcast is networking and, and how to do it and how to build community and how rural women often do this naturally. Like her giving me the book saying that I have to read it and then she'll come on to the podcast. It's kind of an example of networking, which I hadn't really thought about it. I was I just wanted to meet her. Yeah, that's right. And I think she's like strategically given a copy to someone, you know, that's really interested in hearing more about her story and to do some research before jumping on a podcast to talk all things, you know, mentoring and networking. So have you got an example you'd like to share about in your community or an individual that has mentored you? Yeah, it's really got me thinking about this. And I've had quite a few mentors throughout my career. And recently I, I did a, a, a board observership program, which is more formal. And then there are just people that you find, I think, and bring you under their wing. I had a mentor in, in the early news days who he was a newsreader and really got my news reading up to speed. And I would send him my scripts and record myself reading them and he would give me feedback. And he was based in Melbourne and I was at the time based in Bendigo. And he, he was he was great. And he had quite a gruff persona, really. But underneath that, he was actually quite caring. And, you know, it, it was one of those surprising mentors. What about you, Jackie? Yeah, I really like how you said that, how sometimes you do find a surprise in just an everyday person that you probably wouldn't expect to be mentoring or supporting you. And there's definitely people out there that when they see a young person having a go, they can look back and go, well, that was me once. How can I support them and, you know, get them more confident? I've always had like different mentors throughout my life and my parents, like it really started at home having like great mentoring. And then now my brother and sister, but there's people in the industry 
whether it's through agriculture and previous bosses and even traveling overseas. When I went overseas for three months on a beef industry scholarship, when I was in my early 20s, I, I stayed in about 40 different um, families and there's a few of those people that really stood out. And so they supported me on that journey, but now I still look to them and share things with them. But at the same time, I think there's a great mentor make you think outside the square or think of things in a different way. So they might not necessarily say, yes, go for that opportunity. They might get you to actually think about it in a different way. And you might decide to change your mind because they've given you, like they've shared their opinion and you trust them as as a support and mentor person. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And even just giving you the confidence to try something new or or to, to have another go at something that you failed at even. And Kathy talks about her first year at university, which she bombed out in, which you'd never expect, and how she got back up on the horse in the early days and learned a lot from that. And sometimes, and it might not even be the advice, it might be um, someone that's there that goes, that's all right, we've all failed at some point. Well, let's get to it. And this is just the first part of a series for us. We're going to have another look next week at finding a mentor as well from a couple of different perspectives. We thought this one will just focus on Kathy because she's got such an interesting story and some really great advice as well, specifically for people like us, for women on the land. So here she is. So hello, lovely to talk to you up in Northeast Victoria this morning and cold winter's day. And as I look out my window, I look across the valley where I grew up and my parents were dairy farmers uh, initially and I was one of a large family. So it's wonderful to be living in the country where I was born and grew up. So I think that's probably one of the key tenets, I suppose, of my career is living locally and working in my own community. So when the opportunity came to represent my community, it it fitted together. It didn't seem an alien thing to do. It wasn't like I was going to Canberra to become a minister to do something foreign. It was like uh, the people in my community wanted something better for themselves and they landed on me. So that's sort of how I got there. So I was really clear that I didn't have to be the answer to everything, that that everything we needed was already here and that one of the secrets was organising and uh, I think that's what I learned at home as a growing up on the dairy farm, that organisation and planning is really important, but you've also got to do. So that's sort of in a nutshell uh, what it was that got me there. And now that I'm no longer a member of parliament, I'm really encouraging other people, particularly young women from the regions, to do something similar, to actually project their horizons and you know move about of what they thought they were going to do and to be bold and courageous and adventurous. Growing up or or just throughout your earlier career, did you have a mentor or, or mentors who really helped you along the way? Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think anyone does things by themselves. You, you become a hermit. And most of us belong in communities, whether they're first off our family community and then our wider community. So finding people who've been there before you and getting them to help you is a really critical part of being a mother of getting your first job and of course you can do it you you can try to do it yourself but if you're clever you actually look at what other people have done and you learn from them and there's a lot of ways you can do that you can go and do courses you can read books you can ask people to help you Uh, and all of them are valid and important and I think to be effective in the world and that was certainly what I wanted to do I didn't want to spend my life just doing busy work I, I actually wanted to be effective 
So I had to really learn what, what worked. And it was easy enough to go and do something, try A and it didn't work or try B and it didn't work really well. So how are you going to actually do it once and do it well and make it work? So in answer to your question, there's, there's mentors of all different sorts and shapes. And I think the, the way I've got to describe it is interlinking circles. That in my first instance, in the early days, my inner mentoring circle was my family, like my mum and my dad. So when I um, bombed out of university and said, I'm going to come home on the farm, mum and dad said, no, nope, back you go, pick your bags up. You, you, you've got to go back, like get back on your horse. You can't get off. And so mentors like that who, who can actually not only put you back on your horse, but tell you you've got to get back on your horse and then help you do the adjusting because it's not an easy thing. So family in the first instance, and in my family in particular, I've got some sisters who are particularly helpful and have stayed really strong mentors. They've gone out and done things before me, or if I've got to do a speech or I've got to think about something, I'll ring them up and say, look, I've got to do this X, Y, Z, you know, any ideas for me? And that really works. So that inner family, inner circle of friends and asking them for help is a really key thing. And I think we all do it, but we underestimate the power of it. And then my second circle out was once I worked out that I wanted to be a professional and have a career, then how to do that and then what area to do it in. And I had a lot of help making that decision that agriculture was my area, but it wasn't production agriculture, it was community agriculture. And my big advice is about where to find mentors and how to get the mentoring you need is to join organisations, is to join groups. So I joined a group called Australian Women in Agriculture and just found these amazing women who'd farmed, who'd journalists, who were professionals, who not only became part of my network, but also said, well, here's what I know. I tried that and didn't work. And here's what I think and do this, do that. So joining groups. And the other thing that I've done that has just been so important in my foundation to being effective was doing courses. So ever since I can remember, I've always been a learner. So I did a course on public speaking and went, wow, ah, oh, this is a skill. You're not just born a good public speaker. You can learn how to do it. And then the public speaking course said, well, it's good. We can teach you, but you've got to go and do it. So go and join a group. So go and join Toastmasters. So I went and joined Toastmasters. And the people in that group were fantastic mentors about how to be effective in your public speaking. And then in my agriculture career, I joined a group called APEN the Australasian Pacific Extension Network that works with extension in agriculture. And there were fantastic people there who taught me about being effective extension officer in a community environment. And so joining the organisation, going to their conferences and finding the people there that I thought, oh, they know something, they'll be able to help me. And then I'd go and do their workshop and then I'd get their card and I'd stay in contact. So in summary, what I found is there's different circles. And you've, you've really got to place yourself in a position when you can, where you can ask for help. And then the important thing is to be able to give back once you've got the help you need. And I'll just talk a little bit about asking for help if I could, because that doesn't come naturally to people. Because I think there's something that says we should be perfect at the beginning and we should know how to do it. So finding people in your network who you like enough or who are warm enough or generous enough, who are going to say, uh, yeah, I know somebody that you know, or I can help you in this way. That's a bit of a skill. Uh, and that's why I say join organisations. And for me, those women-friendly organisations, such as Australian Women in Agriculture, was just a lovely place to go because 
people were generous and kind and they, they wanted the best for me as well. That's some great advice. Were there any unlikely mentors? So, you know, you were clearly very proactive in seeking mentors, which is great, but were there any that you just sort of came across through work or, or circles who you thought, hey, this person really knows something that I could learn from? Uh, always. That, that's right. The, the, all my life has been full of surprises of people who did that. But probably one of the very early ones was when I, I was always interested in politics and in my first job um, in that area, the, the member of parliament was called Mr Ewan Cameron and he was the Liberal member for the electorate that I lived in and I got a job as his electorate assistant. Now, that could have just been a straightforward job, but he could see my interest in politics. And he definitely mentored me, not only into being a very good electorate assistant, he helped me do that, but he explained to me how the world of politics worked from a, from, from a values base. So he wasn't a, he was what, you know, a gentleman politician in that sense. So not only did he help me understand about working with people and bringing out the best in other people he did that for me himself and I think if you're lucky in your life you have a someone who you're working for who really does do that they duck you under their wing and and help you grow but in the process show you how to do your job properly but they also do their job in a way that you want to you know follow so yeah my life has been full of people like that and I think once I was 28 when I met Mr Cameron and then after that I just kept an eye out for those sort of people uh, who are kind and generous who are already really good at their job and who had a bit of a reputation of helping people because you didn't want to go to somebody who was just going to brush you off or treat you badly. So I kept an eye out for those, that type of people in my career. And I always found them. And I think in agriculture, there's no shortage of people who want to help the next generation come through and learn. In terms of, of actually physically meeting people or connecting with people, it can sometimes be harder, I think, for rural women than perhaps other groups of people because, oh, you know, we're isolated, we might have large family commitments or we could be on a farm or all three of those things. Is it harder for rural women to, to network, do you think, compared with other groups of people? No, I, well, I, I can't speak for other groups of people, but I never found it hard to network because everybody in a rural community knows that they need other people. We are so interdependent that the networking opportunities like at the Fire Brigade or the Landcare Group or the National Farm, VFF, Victorian Farmers Federation, no, no, there's, there's a huge number. It's just, do you want to network? Do you want to go and make the effort? And I think the temptation for women is to go and say, okay, I'll go, I'll, I'm not, not in my generation, I'm, not, I'm sure it's not like this now, but it would be to go and you know, make the cake and stay in the kitchen, not get out in the main meeting. So I think, but I think that's hard for everybody to actually learn to speak up and to have an opinion and then to step up. So no, I don't think geography makes any difference. I think what it is, is the confidence and having someone else tap you on the shoulder and say, like, you should be the president of the Landcare Group. You're really good at this. I know, you, I know you're doing it. You're the comms officer, but you know, you should step out of your thing. You should become the president. And you go, oh no, I can't be the president. I really like being comms. Well, no, you know, I think you should be the president and I'll help you get elected to be the president. And, and I think it's, it is a matter, as you say, of, you know, finding the time to do all this sort of stuff, but you don't have to do everything, doing one or two jobs well makes the difference and if you go off to the Landcare conference look I'll look after your kids while you're gone it's only three days you'll have a great time and you hop in a car with a couple of friends and you go together so you need your network to support you doing that but it's a thing that you think oh no I can't really leave my family I can't go whereas your friends say yep off you go we need you to be part of the Victorian network 
And then once you're part of the Victorian network, it's not at all hard to see that there's a national network of land care people and heading off to Perth to that sort of conference. So yeah, but you do need your backup, of course. And that's exactly what Cathy did, travelling all over Australia, even the world, as part of land care and rural women's groups. When she looks back now, she realises how important those experiences were for preparing her for walking into Parliament House for the first time back in 2013. And then, of course, sitting on the crossbench, you know, where all the power is. And so when I went to Parliament, you know, totally different culture. But I was really confident that I'd have the skills of managing there because I'd, I'd managed in a rural community, I'd managed in Melbourne, you know, I'd, I'd travelled the world, I, I knew how to hold myself. But it didn't start out that way. You have, to, you have to learn how to do it. So that's, again, why that example of going off to conferences is a really useful way of doing it. Because, say, for example, at Landcare conferences, which very much was my experience, you go to Melbourne and you'd learn how the Melbourne people worked. And then the next conference was in Perth. So you'd get to Perth. And when you got to Perth, there were these farm tours. So you'd be on buses with people from all over the place learning how that thing worked. And in a similar way with my history, I got involved in the Victorian Farmers Federation. So I was the local rep for Northeast Victoria, and then you'd have to go to Melbourne. And then from Melbourne, you'd go to Canberra. And in each of those environments, you actually got the skills of how to build the networks, understanding the culture, understanding what the, what the rules below the table and above the table were. So yeah, you, but you can only learn it by doing it. You don't learn by staying home. And you'd learn by putting yourself out there. And one of the things that I talk about in my book is the, the need to turn up, you need to speak up when you turn up, and then you need to step up into responsibility. And by doing that, you learn very quickly how to do it. And, and in most organisations where I've done that, there's always been other people who help me, like turn up. So they ring up and invite you to come or they send out an email. And then when you get there, they encourage you to speak up and say, oh, Cathy, we haven't heard from you. What do you think about this? And then when the positions become available, President, Secretary, Treasurer, they say, come on, step up, it's your job. But the art is saying, yes, I'll, I'll do that. It, it doesn't happen if you keep saying, oh, no, I'm too busy or I've the family or I'm not able to do it. So you, you've got to be able to say yes. So Cathy said yes to running for the seat of Indi. And the story goes that it was actually a group of young people, and I love this, her nephew and a few other locals were chatting one evening about being sick of the same old, same old in politics in their hometown seat of Indi. And so they called up Kathy and told her that she should run. She initially thought, no, she had other things she was planning to do, not to mention the feasibility of trying to make a safe liberal seat marginal. But the young group of go-getters twisted her arm and they started to build a community movement called Voices for Indi. And of course, the rest is history. But when Cathy first arrived in Canberra, despite all of her years of turning up and speaking up, she admits it wasn't always easy. I thought I'll, I'll be in Parliament for three years and I won't speak at all, even though I've been telling you about the need to turn up and speak up. I'll hide away in the Federation Chamber and I'll just do my three years and I, the seat, we would have made the seat marginal and that would have been it. And I was really conscious that that's what I was thinking. So as you say, then turning to the people that I trusted and said, yep, I'm here, but I'm only going to be here for three years and then I'm going to go. And, and they were absolutely astounded. They said, what are you talking about? If you don't run again at the next election, you're going to be a, you know, a one-term wonder. What are you talking about? You have to do a second term. 
And once those friends reminded me of my purpose, it, it made sense that I could, then, I could then find the inner courage to step up. I think if you haven't worked out your purpose of why you're doing what you're doing, it's very difficult to find the courage, to find the, the inner strength that you need. And plus the daily grind, you know, of getting up every morning and doing it. And it's about, look, well, why did I do this in the first place? So I became a member of parliament, not to be a one-term wonder. I really did want to show that community and, and community politics was a much better way of doing politics than the party politics. So once I, I reminded myself of that, then, then I, I, I dived into the job and actually made it my own. But you're right, that, that, sense, of, that sense of fear uh, and worry and am I good enough? And of course, you're never good enough. But doesn't matter. You have to be. You have to be a little bit good, and even when you're not really good enough, the fact that you're there sometimes is enough. And that certainly was in my case. Yeah. And did you again seek out people? You go through it in your book a little bit, but you know, when you're in Canberra, the the wonderful community from Indi is who you're representing. They're not there with you. Who did you find, or how did you go about finding those people who you knew would be there to back you, or at least give you a little bit of information when you needed it. I, I did exactly what I, I had done in previous time in my period in agriculture. So agriculture in my time was very male dominated. Parliament was very male dominated. So what I'd learned in agriculture is look around for those kind men and the clever men, and they're often the same, and then go and ask them for help. So that's, that's what I did. And, there were, and of course, there were people that didn't want to help me, so it didn't always work, but very quickly go, oh, well, that didn't work. Okay. And so so I, I found the, the, kind, the kind men who are clever. And I said to them, will you help me in understanding what I'm doing? So one of those was Tim Fisher. Tim Fisher was the National Party, uh, had been a leader. And I went to him and said, well, I've, I've got no idea how this works. What do I have to do? And he said, well, Cathy, I'm not going to help you with the politics because you're my opposition in the politics, but I'm very happy to talk to you about how the actual rules of parliament work. So we were able to, to work out uh, the boundaries of what we were talking about. And Tim would always be there for me on the phone. Like he didn't, he, he didn't want me to rub it on and have a long story. It was just like little instances where I needed support. And then other people were some of the people with authority in parliament and one of those was another man who, again, never, I wouldn't say he became a friend, but he was a really good mentor to me. His name was Christopher Pine. He was a liberal from South Australia and he was the minister for education, but also what would they call the manager of government business. And so again, from my experience in agriculture, I, I knew he was a mover and a shaker and I knew he had information that I needed. So part of the art was working out, well, how could I find out what I needed? So again, I, very straightforward, ring him up, say, look, I'm new, Christopher, can I arrange a meeting? Would you find time to explain to me what I need to know? And he said, yes, no trouble. And he did. And all the time that I was in Parliament, we kept in regular contact with each other. And it was never like a friendship. It was always like me being able to ring up and say, X, Y, Z's happened. I'm not sure I understand what's going on here. Or this, this and this, can, can I come and see you? Or can you give me some advice on what you think would happen? And frequently, if he couldn't do it, he would send me to somebody else. So that sense of um, uh, passing you on, if you want, to someone who knew more. So that was in a formal sense. But the other thing I did, and I'd learned it from communities, Kirsten, is that sometimes networks don't exist, so you need to make them. 
And one of the things in my rural community, when I was in Landcare, there was a whole lot of newcomers in our community and they weren't engaged. So what we did was we put on functions. We'd have a barbecue and we'd ring up people and say, come to come to my place for a barbecue and I, I'm ringing all the people in my little community everyone's invited and you know maybe about the 20 15 or so would turn up and they hadn't met each other before so I was sort of the initiator of that event and I came to understand the importance of an event that you could invite people to that you can create networks so and that's always worked for me in women in ag everywhere I've been I've always been one to host an event so when I'm in Parliament, I'm thinking, oh gosh, this is a pretty, a pretty stark and dull place. There's not a lot of socialising goes on here. So what I did very early in the piece is I said, me and my staff, we sent an invitation to the members of Parliament whose electorates neighboured mine. So I, in northeast Victoria, so the member for Gippsland, the member for um, Farrah in Albury, the member for uh, Shepparton. So just a little um, email that I'm having morning tea, home, afternoon tea, homemade cake. Would you like to come and say hello? And I invited six of them, and the, all blokes, and they all turned up. And I just said, well, I just thought I'd introduce myself and say hello. And, and we didn't actually talk business. And again, that initial meeting with my neighbours in Parliament House set up a really useful network for me that when I didn't understand what was going on or I wanted them to do something for me, I had the sort of not quite friendship, but the neighbourliness that enabled me to ring up. So I wasn't coming in cold. So I really encourage people who are new to communities is to start building communities by hosting an event, you know, being the first one and ringing up people and saying, look, come to my place for a cup of tea. And yeah, that first event in Parliament went so well, the neighbours, and, and we were talking about there's not much community here and people stick to their, their own parties. I said, well, maybe we should have a party. And they said, oh, no, 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 you're not allowed to have parties. There was once a party, but, but you know, it was too much noise and everyone got into trouble. So I went and found out what the rules were for party, a party, not a political party. And the rules were that you weren't allowed to have, have it spill over into the corridors. You have small office suite and then a corridor. And I said, oh, that's easy. I think I can manage that. So in the first winter of my time in Parliament, I organised what I call a midwinter soiree. And I invited journalists whom I'd got to know, some of the neighbours who I'd got to know and some others. And, and about 50 people came to my office for a midwinter soiree. And it, it went from six o'clock to eight o'clock and we just socialised. And people really enjoyed it because it was a mixture of people. It wasn't just politicians. And that hadn't happened before. And then for the rest of the time I was in Parliament, we ended up doing that once a year, having a social function that I and then other people, we, we got a team together, we started hosting. So in answer to your question, the thing that made Parliament work for me was I knew that from community. I knew how to build community by hosting an event and took that with me to Parliament. One of your legacies is obviously creating Voices of Indi, but then finding a successor and, and it's an unusual approach to politics I suppose when we look traditionally we see a lot of career politicians who are thinking about about their career and not to say that they're not also thinking about their constituents but yours is a, is a bit of a different model can you tell me about it and, and and why you've gone about it this way? I think the answer links back to the previous conversation we had before about having a purpose so I, I got elected to parliament on a platform of community engagement. 
and and I was sure that politics would be better if the community was more actively engaged. So then it was, well, what happens next? So if I could have said, okay, well, I'm I'm done now, and and if I had said that, it's a bit like when I first went to Parliament, I could have hidden away and nothing would have happened. But re- remembering my purpose was, ah, oh, I could if I step down and nothing happens, then the Liberals will just come back in and win the seat again, which they were keen to do. So it was really reminding myself of my purpose was not just about me, it's about our electorate would be better off if the community could engage. So to then look around for somebody, and in the end we had three women put their hands up who who could do the community work as well as the political work. So it was part of that sense of me staying true to my purpose of, of wanting, and not only me, I have to say, everybody else in the electorate wanted the same thing. Because when I said to people, like, I'm not going to run again, they said, oh, no, that's terrible. What are we going to do? And I said, oh, no, don't worry. We've got some really good people who are going to run. Oh, yeah, but, 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 but. And I said, no, no, it's okay. I'll be with this person who gets selected and I'll and I'll be their mentor and I'll support them. No, no, we're not going to be left alone. This is going to be a team effort. We're going to run a relay. We'll pass the baton on, but I'll, I'll keep being there very close behind. And not only me, but all the, all my networks and all the people I've built up. And so when I said that to the community and different groups, they go, oh, okay, that's all right. You're not leaving us. And I said, no, 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 I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to stay here with you. And so that was the magic of it was the shared vision that we had. The, the community got it, but also the leadership I was able to provide was to say, and this next person is going to be different from me. And we all need to get behind Helen Haynes because not only is she different, but she knows all this stuff that I don't know. She knows about health. And we didn't even know then that we're going to hit COVID. And, and Helen's got, in, she's really good at policy and she's got all these other skills that I don't have. So I think that's part of the leadership role. And when I were talking before about mentors, one of the courses that I did, and I did lots of them, was around leadership. And always in leadership courses, they talk you, they talk you through succession and having the next person coming up and building a platform so that when you leave, there's more people coming behind you than where you were at the beginning. So, yeah, it's, it's all the leadership courses teach you that. So I suppose I was just putting into practice what I'd learned. I, I think you've really, you know, for, for other women and particularly rural women, people talk about you in a way like, oh, she's cracked the code. You've got to speak to Kathy McGowan. She knows how to get elected. She knows how you can do this. I guess there's a sense that as a woman, it's harder to get to parliament, but you've found a different way that's not necessarily about going through the party and becoming a lawyer or a union rep and then going on to politics through a party. You've, you've found another pathway. You are what you are. And so that's all I was when I went to parliament was I was myself. And when people look around and said, but how do you do it? I said, well, it's actually not about me. It's every single woman I know who's run a farm and run a community could do this job because that's that's the job that we do to create community. And I wouldn't only say in rural and regional Australia, I think it happens in the cities as well. So the, the, the thing about what you're saying is I didn't really crack the code. What I was able to do is, and with help from all the people around me, and particularly women in ag, was to look and see, oh, we've already got the answers. We don't actually have to reinvent this. What we need to do is what we already do, which is build community. But now we'll build a political community because we'd never done that before. We'd build health communities. We'd build agricultural communities. We'd never built a political community. So that's what we did. And surprise, surprise, it worked. 
And people got it because they could see all of us good women doing what we'd always done. It wasn't that we we're doing anything different. It's just like raising funding, just like money, raising money for the hospital. But what we're trying to do is get me elected. And so people picked it up really, really quickly. And so I actually think that that's the natural way of working for rural people, quite frankly. I think parties are not the natural way of working. And I think the stories we're hearing now about Julia Banks and other people show how incredibly hard it is when good people turn themselves in knots to surviving parties. So I think parties are the anachronism. I think what we're doing in the Voices for movement is a much more natural way, fun way, authentic way of creating politics and making it real for people. Because you you, no one, people are not cynical when you're involved in it. They're only cynical when they see all the other the bad stuff that happens. And there are lots and lots of groups now around the country giving it a go because they go, oh, 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 yeah, I see that. Oh, I, I reckon we could do that. You mentioned Julia Banks and with just the last year or two, we've been hearing a raft of stories from women who have not been treated very well in Parliament. There's been sexual harassment. It makes politics unappealing to women. How do we still say, yep, I'm, I'm going to give it a go when it just looks like to enter you're up for a hard time that, you know, that every woman thinks, is it really worth it? Yeah, that's such an important question. So the answer is don't join a party, <laughs> quite frankly, because <laughs> it, it's the parties who are having the problems. It's not the independents. If you look at Helen Haynes, Zali Stegall, Rebecca Sharkey, Andrew Wilkie, you know, they love the job. So that's one answer. But it's a bit like it's a bit like this job is not for everybody, quite frankly. Not everybody wants to be a politician and there's not room for them. There's only 151 seats in parliament and there's X number in local government and there's X number in state government. So the job is not everybody to be the leader. That's for some. This job is for everybody to be part of the movement. And there's a place for everybody to be in the movement. And you, that's the difference, I think. So we're not asking everybody to step up and become the candidate but we are asking everybody to become engaged. And in the, in the process of joining a Voices for group or you know, make Murray marginal or whatever the group is, there's room for everybody and all the skills. And if we're going to do this, we need everybody to join up. And then in the whole groups, like say, I know Helen Haynes has got 1,800 people on her database. Only one of those is gonna be replacing Helen. And that's not gonna be hard to find the person there'll be a bit of a competition. There'll be three or four people who'll be able and wanting to do that. So I think that's the way I look at it. There's a job for everybody and everybody's skills are needed. And in answer to your question, yep, the job, if you don't want the job of being the Member of Parliament, you don't have to do it. No one's going to make you. But someone in your circle will want it and they'll be able to do it because of their career path and because of their skills and because of who they are. So that's the wonderful news. And that's it for another episode of Ducks on the Pond. A big thank you to Kathy McGowan for giving us her time. Her book is called Kathy Goes to Canberra. There are a lot of lessons in there. Hey, Jackie, what do you think your biggest takeaways are from the chat with Kathy? What would the biggest lesson be? Yeah, so like listening to Kathy speak and, and especially after listening to her speak at the Women on Farms event a few months ago, was when Kathy talked about over the years how many things the rural women have done and and they're traveling overseas and sharing the women on farms gathering across other countries and 
I think as a someone who's in their late 20s, we shouldn't forget about what the women have done before us to pave a path for, you know, someone like myself walking into agriculture and being supported. And yeah, that's probably my biggest takeaway about what Kathy was sharing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just saying yes, saying yes to opportunities, having a go, you're not going to get anywhere if you don't go to that meeting, if you don't put your hand up, if you don't speak out. And I love Kathy's story of like when she first went into Canberra of having, you know, this great big career behind her, but still having that moment of not feeling like she should be speaking out and, and then challenging it and, and moving forward. So I think that no matter what age you are, you you always still feel it and you've just got to challenge it and and put yourself out there. And I loved what she said about succession. I'm in my mid thirties. And so kind of feel like in some, some areas of your life, you really want a mentor. And then in others, you're the, you're the mentor. And so I like keeping that idea of succession that when you are moving from a position that you reach your hand out and you take another woman to fill that position and then, and having that purpose so that your purpose is bigger than just oh, I want this job. It's almost like I want to create this change or I want to do this good thing. And then once you've achieved it, you can find someone else to take your place and and be their own person in the role and and change it the way that they want. But I, I really like that idea because then you're continuing the progression of women and of community in general, because not just women, you know, there are some great blokes that you happily give a hand up to as, as well. Yeah, that's right. And it's the same, like we've recently in our local community had a little spring show that the committee was folding and they had an extraordinary meeting last week and there was a couple of young ones that attended and it's, you know, Mel back on deck. They've been able to get themselves president and, you know, we're meeting again next week to see what the future might hold for the, for the local show. Awesome. President of a local show, also a job for life. (laughs) (laughs) So thanks again for listening. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We're also starting to build a community around this podcast, which is part of Rural Women's Day. If you like what you hear, please tell a friend and leave us a five-star review. And thank you to those who already have. We really appreciate it. We'll catch you next time.